Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the leads to my Leverkusen. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. It's just a joke, Leeds fans. We'll talk more about that <laughs> later on. Don't start coming at me, please. Um, Justin, we'll start off with a question, if that's all right with you. Oh, wow. Yeah, it always throws me off when we, when we change a little bit from the usual format. But yeah, fire away. What connects the following people, Justin? <laughs> Former Leicester and Preston defender Sean St. Ledger, Calvin Harris and Tom Hiddleston. Is it Taylor Swift? It is Taylor Swift. <laughs> well done. Oh, God, You're absolutely a, right. That was a, They've that was all a reportedly dated Taylor Swift at one point, although the St. Ledger link was apparently bollocks in the end. So they just had a picture together and everyone instantly said, oh, their dating but for a short moment I'm glad we lived in a world where we believed an unremarkable championship defender could be going out with arguably the biggest pop star in the world yeah it should give everybody hope that no matter how average you are as a human being I'm average you can always bag yourself a multi-million billion dollar pop star Mm. Well, wasn't the case in the end, no. but we can still dream, can't we? You never know. And <laughs> um, that is the only thing I remember about Sean St. Ledger now. I mean, he had a he had a decent career at championship level, didn't he? But finding out that he was apparently dating Taylor Swift is the only thing I think about when I think of him. Well, he was versatile. He was also part of that Sky One documentary with a big Ron manager. He was part of the Peterborough team that Ron Atkinson was... Uh, okay. giving advice to I just remember him in that as well so actually yeah you are right don't remember anything about his career at all other than he briefly potentially dated Taylor Swift or had a picture of Taylor Swift and yeah. was on it was in a Sky One documentary in which the manager got sacked at half time superb unbelievable scenes what a career um, <laughs> remembered for two things that aren't anything to do with what happened on a football pitch welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are this is a preview episode of the second tier therefore we're looking ahead to the weekend and talking about some of the big games coming up this weekend and making some bloody predictions so you'll be finding out justin and i's bankers as well as our outsiders very shortly we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days of course it's transfer deadline day on friday so we've got plenty of transfer gossip for us to have a little natter over so you've got that to look forward to in the news and then we'll finish off with scott high or ryan low right at the end of the show so let's have a look ahead to the weekend and in each preview episode of the second tier justin and i each pick a banker a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend as well 
as an outsider. So someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. One point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. Justin has the pleasure of going on a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back, while I have to do a CrossFit workout, which Justin has promised me will be vomit inducing. So that is good news for everyone. The current scores for the season are 5-4 to myself. I'm yet to get a banker wrong so far. Are you impressed, Justin? I am, but I'm also not because you are ridiculously spoiling at these. And I will add, and there's some context for the listener here, is I always forget to give you my banker and outsider. So you always do it before me. So you always get the, the proper, proper banker, the real banker yeah. of the of the weekend. So maybe if I set my alarm for 9am on a Monday morning to remind myself, I might get a few more of these as well. Yeah, I will point out that Justin saying or complaining about me always having the first choice on bankers is completely his own fault because mm-hmm. I did tell him quite early on that Monday morning, get your picks in. And even though we had a bank holiday this week, uh, this week, uh, you still didn't let me know until yesterday afternoon on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. It's considering we're recording this Wednesday. It's an organisation faux pas from my point of view, but it's just how I roll. I live life on the edge. I don't take things too seriously. It's, it's how I am. Laid back, Justin, over here. You're going to be laid back for a long time on that coat <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, well, Justin, let's find out what your banker is for the weekend. Who are you guaranteeing a victory for in the championship this weekend? I'm going for a Norwich away win at Rotherham. At Rotherham. I'm slightly more, ne- I'm laughing nervously as I say, I'm slightly more nervous about this one because of Rotherham's midweek result against Stoke City in the League Cup. Usually when teams get absolutely panned, and there's some logic to it, usually when teams get absolutely panned, like Rotherham did, they come out swinging in their next game, which is obviously, of course, against Norwich. But I'm still, there's that sort of, illogical aspect to it I should I should actually point out Norwich have probably been the best team in the championship so far this season I know they sit second I know Leicester fans will say well we're top but actually Norwich have been incredible going forward so they've created the the highest XG in the league if you like a bit of that and they create on average the most goal creating actions in the division as well so they're getting into good positions getting shots off they're an incredibly well drilled side under David Wagner and they've surprised us and you know, I'd admit I'm wrong at this stage because I expected Norwich to really, really drop off coming into the season. Not drop off, but struggle coming into the season, and they haven't. So I expect them to at least, even if it's going to be a, a, a bit of a sludge match, rather than we're going to try and make it that because of that heavy defeat, Norwich will be licking their lips. There might be some complacency there from them. But even so, I do think the quality that Norwich have produced so far is going to is going to tell in this game. I do think losing Josh Sargent is a blow, but Ashley Barnes has been effective so far, as has Adam Eder coming off the bench. So, I would hope that those two come in and have a and have a new, oh, well, they start and have an impact in the in the game. Yeah, I will admit Norwich have probably been the best team in the division so far. I was giving that title to Ipswich, but I think Norwich have just nipped ahead of them after the four 0 thrashing last weekend. Having said that. Josh Sargent's injury, I think, is a massive blow. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that later in the news. But him being out for a long period of time now, as well as, you know, Jonathan Rowe's been in fine goal scoring form, but we can't expect that to continue forever. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if he got on the score sheets again this weekend. But by all means, please prove me wrong, Jonathan <laughs> Rowe. Um, and then if that's the case, I'm looking at them and wondering... 
are the goals going to continue to flow as freely as they have done? Because Ashley Barnes isn't, you know, a clinical goal scorer. Adam Ida has struggled in his Norwich career so far. Gabriel Saar was a fantastic player. So maybe he's someone who could, you know, carry the burden a bit more when it comes to the goals. But yeah, I'm not as sold on this as a banker as you are, Justin. Having said that, Rotherham have been pretty poor so far. It gave Leicester a bit of a game last weekend and maybe could have counted themselves unlucky because they did have a goal ruled out for very little. Mm-hmm. Having said that, yeah, I'm not sure this is an absolute put your house on it banker and <laughs> compared to my banker, which is Leeds to beat Sheffield Wednesday. It's a Yorkshire derby and they say form goes out the window in a derby, but I'll be amazed if that's the case here. <laughs> Plain and simply, Sheffield Wednesday are a mess. Zero points on the board and have been comfortably outplayed in most games so far. Most recent game was against Cardiff, which was better, but we need a massive improvement before we start to see them get points on the board on the regular. The squad simply isn't good enough. The transfer approach seems to be, let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks. The problem is they're throwing rocks at the wall, which are just simply bouncing off the wall. Um, And I feel sorry for Iska Munoz as a manager because he's by no means the person mostly at fault for this, but it does seem like he's not up to the job at the same time. They would become the fifth team in championship history to lose their five opening games if they're defeated here, Sheffield Wednesday. Three of the previous four were relegated. It's all looking a bit ominous for Sheffield Wednesday. On the other hand, the beast has awoken. At Leeds United. It's been a chaotic summer for the most part, but they seem to have gotten their act together just in time. They've become the first team to take points off Ipswich last weekend in a great game where both teams were fully going at it. The front four, four leads all scored. Joel Pirro's come in, which I think is an excellent signing. More players could be coming through the door before the transfer window closes. There's simply too much quality at Leeds for this particular game. They are a bit shaky at the back, but Wednesday have the lowest expected goals and I can't see them causing too many problems. So this should be straightforward for Leeds. If last weekend's performance was anything to go by, this could be a bit of a mauling. (laughs) I might stop short of saying it's going to be a mauling just because I I do think for what it's worth, Wednesday are better defensively than they are going forwards. That being said, I do want to find an angle to disagree with you on, but I just can't. Maybe playing at Ellen Road could play a part in Wednesday getting a result. That might happen, maybe being a derby. There's these aspects that come into it that that, that could create a, a, um, a bit of a, a swing in Wednesday's favour, but they, these are immeasurable aspects. There's no logic to it at all. And as I say, sitting in those deep banks of four, that Isco is implemented might work in their favour, but considering that Leeds have now got the quality that punish any lapse in concentration, as it did against Ipswich, you'd expect that quality to come through. And I watched Leeds against Salford in midweek and I know Leeds lost, but quite simply, they shouldn't have done. They created an abundance of chances and I'd expect the game at Adam Road to go a similar in a similar direction in that Leeds create a hell of a lot of chances one one goes in and it's Leeds' game then from that point. Yeah, the thing is, if Leeds score early on, can you really see Wednesday game back into it? Because they have been so toothless going forwards that it, it would take... It would be a huge shock, wouldn't it, if Wednesday even got a point from this game. And considering it's so early on in the season, it seems a bit ridiculous saying that. But just from what we've seen of Wednesday so far, it would have to be a much much, much better performance 
for them to be worthy of getting something from this game. My outsider for this weekend, I will once again admit, not really a standout pick for me in terms of outsiders this weekend. I said it last week, and I think the only outsiders who did win were Leeds and Blackburn, but it's another tricky weekend when it comes to championship fixtures. But I've gone with Sunderland to beat Southampton. Now, after defending Southampton last week from Justin's fierce anti-Southampton agenda, I'm now going against them here. And as good as they are going forwards, it, it, you, you have got to admit Southampton are a bit of a mess at the back, considering how good a team they are. They get to keep a clean sheet and considering the opposition they faced, not a great record. They most recently faced QPR and Southampton weren't great by any means. They were actually quite fortunate. They were also fortunate against Plymouth, who could have easily won that one. And then they conceded four against Norwich, but got a point thanks to a last-minute penalty. So a lot of work to do for Southampton. Scoring goals hasn't been a problem, but they can be got at. And that's why I've got a bit of encouragement with Sunderland, who have had a rather disappointing start to the season. Just four points on the board for them. They haven't really got going yet. Coming off the back of a draw with Coventry at the weekend where they were quite fortunate, to be honest, to come out with a point. But they have got some very good players. Jack Clark can cause that Southampton defence plenty of problems. Dan Neal's return to form and I'm a big fan of the double pivot of him and Pierre Equa in midfield. Also a fan of each of their defenders, particularly Luke 9 because he saves the lives of dogs. There's also a chance they'll sign a striker before the transfer window closes. I really hope they do. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough few months ahead for Sunderland. But ultimately, I look at this game and I think Sunderland can punish Southampton's defensive frailties. Now I'm going to pass the floor on to Justin Peach so he can really twist the knife of Southampton. <laughs> I'm not going to twist it. I don't. I still don't think they are a clinical, as clinical as, as people suggest, as Southampton fans suggest. I will die on this hill until they start putting away the percentage of chances they're creating. And it's, it comes down to that. They're creating a hell of a lot of chances, but not putting nearly as many or enough away as they should be. Sunderland are exactly the same. They've not been clinical enough this season and quite symptomatic of that is the fact that they don't have a first team forward available or an experienced first team forward available to them in in, in the sense of a Ross Stewart, for example. I, I do think this is going to be a bit of a basketball match it could either it could either end up two two three three, or it could be a nil nil with each side being an incredibly frustrating in front of goal. Um, I, I do think this game probably suits Sunderland more than it does Southampton because Southampton have got this way of playing under Russell Martin, or Russell Martin has got this way of playing, and I think Sunderland are very very gifted are a very gifted team especially on the quick transition going forwards which I don't think Southampton what well, they've shown that they've, they're unable to deal with that that being said I just don't think Sunderland are going to be capable uh, clinical enough of winning I can see Southampton getting a result mainly because of the quality of player that are available that being said if Shea Adams doesn't play again or he's unavailable for whatever reason it's hard to see them picking up a result unless somebody comes in to pick up that mantle could that man on his way to St Mary's although whoever that if the man is the one who we think of then he certainly won't be fit for this weekend anyway so let's not worry about that but we'll, we'll talk more about that in the news um, Justin what's your outsider for this weekend I do agree it's another difficult weekend of, of, of picking an outsider but I've gone with Watford to win away at Coventry Coventry are rightly favourites for this one they're, they're, I was going to say the Rico then it's a long time ago they're at the CBS is it still the CBS actually yes it is alright it's so hard to 
figure out when it stadium changes hands but nonetheless I still think it's going to be a tight game it's going to be a really tight game Watford have so far been really nice and resilient but just haven't had the look of uh, well haven't had any look in front of goal just yet and with that in mind I can as I say I can easily see it being a tight game which Watford could very well edge it but they're going to need to do a lot to do so they haven't scored since that first half mauling of QPR on the opening day of the season but they have still been creating chances which is a nice place to be because if you're still creating chances you're sustaining chances it's only small tweaks and a little bit of uh, a bit, little bit of a cutting edge in front of goal to, to really change it I go back to that Blackburn game on, on Sunday where it was a very frustrating one for Watford Mateus Martin looked dangerous Tom Ince looked dangerous when he came on and Ran Lauser came, came on and was starting to pull the strings when he was introduced into the game but it was one counter-attack that, un, that, that essentially undid Watford I think this is the problem that's going to be posed by Coventry is that Robbins has got a very good method of, of setting up his teams. He can either be a dominant side or he can strip it back, play a low block and play a counter-attacking team as well. So I think that's going to be an interesting one for, for him. But for me, Watford probably got a little bit more quality or at least I've seen that Blackburn game and I think there's a little bit more quality in there that could maybe edge it. It is a bit of a stretch. And I'd say Watford are only slight, uh, sorry, Coventry are only slight favourites for this one. But I do think looking at that game against Blackburn, I think it's only a matter of time before they do pick up another win and another goal. And it could well come here at, uh, uh, at Coventry. You think Watford have got more Coventry, uh, quality than Coventry? I think there's there's certainly a lot of quality. You look at Imran Lousy, for example, he's would walk into that Coventry. I'm not saying Coventry don't have any quality in, one it, in that side. Sorry? One player? Well, one player. Mateus Martins has showed that he's got ability. Uh, the defence, I think, is incredibly steady. I would rate Watford's defence higher than Coventry's defence, for example. Um, certainly, there, there needs to be a lot more added to it. But I think Coventry is still finding their feet with a lot of new signings than, than opposed to Watford, who have had a big transition of players themselves, but look a little bit more settled, albeit not quite clinically enough to, to push up the table. Hmm. I'm not sure about that personally, Justin. I'm looking at Watford and while they dominated Blackburn at the weekend, the fact that they can't find the back of net is a bit of a concern. I think it is only a temporary problem and I think they will start finding the goals eventually. It depends a lot on when uh, Rajovic, the new striker, finds his feet and I think a lot depends on him finding his feet. But it may be a bit too soon for him. I think Coventry are rightly favourites for this and I'd be backing them to beat Watford this weekend just because Watford for a start can't find the back of the net. Very good defensively and Coventry have somewhat struggled in themselves to find the back of the net on a regular basis but I think that's only a temporary problem as well and I can see them scoring a lot of goals when you know the floodgates finally open particularly when they've spent so much money on the forwards that they've got so I'm not sure I agree with you on that particular outsider. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, including plenty of transfer gossip for just now to get our teeth into. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Leeds have signed Jed Spence on loan from Tottenham. The 23-year-old right-back moves for a reported loan fee of a million pounds. No buy option is included in the deal. How do you feel about this one, Justin? I think the first point is it's a lesson in humility, isn't it, for Jed Spence? Um but I do think it's a good signing for Leeds. He's a really good attacking yeah, wing just, back. You've got, you've, got to, you've got to give some explanation there. You can't just say that and not give any further explanation. Well, it just seems a long time ago since the uh, the Wembley win for Nottingham Forest when he was on loan there, doesn't it? When he Did he tag Neil Warnock or did he just throw shade at Neil Warnock? He tagged. Yeah, okay, Warnock. right. That was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an humility there for, for, for young Jed. Um, you still haven't explained it. He, he said, hi, Mr. Warnock, nice to see you on Twitter, and then had that big picture of him with the playoff final trophy and a big cigar in his mouth, pulling a funny face at the same time. Can so that's what you're referring to, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Can you smoke indoors at Wembley? I don't think you can. So there's a there's another issue in that. Wasn't necessarily lit. No, it's that is true. That is true. But it just seems pointless then, and a weird boast. But nonetheless. It does now. Um, it does. It's a very pointless post now, and even more so with an unlit cigar. Because if you're going to smoke it, bloody smoke it. And if you're not, well, it's just a prop, then, isn't it? Anyway, um, more to the signing. I think it's a good signing. I do rate him, even though I've just bashed him for the last two minutes. He is a very talented wing back, and he's such a good dribbler with the ball. He's just going to give Leeds another outlet on that on that right hand side. There are obvious drawbacks in the defensive side of his game, but he had to play in a Steve Cooper system at Nottingham Forest, which. It was disciplined, it was structured, and everyone had their roles in the team. So no doubt that mentality will still be there with him. So yeah, I do like the signing. Um, they are you know, well well indebted at uh, wing-back now at Leeds, which is, which is a positive. Well, my first thought was with Cody Drame, who is one of the best fullbacks in the division at the end of last season. Doesn't seem to be in Daniel Farkas' plans at all. And... I initially thought, well, why are you signing Jed Spence when you've got Cody Drame already on the books? But he might want to leave. And if that is the case, then fair enough. But look, Jed Spence was unbelievable a couple of seasons ago. The best right back in the division for me. And that's ultimately why Spurs forked out £20 million for him. I do have concerns about this move, though. And that's mainly down to his attitude. Since the start of the 21-22 season, Spence has had five managers, right? Only one of them has fancied him, and that's been Steve Cooper. Neil Warnock said he, an he had an attitude problem. He's gone to Spurs, not being given a look-in by Conte or Postacoglu. Obviously, completely different standard there, but Conte hinted that he wasn't good enough in training. Then he went on loan to Wren last season, where he played before losing his place in the team, basically missed the final quarter of the season. So while he's obviously a very talented player... I don't think we should automatically look at this move and put it down as a brilliant signing because he's had a lot of problems in the past year. I think he needs a move like this to get things back on track in his career. And I hope it does work out for him. Daniel Farker took Max Aarons, made him into a marvellous player. So hopefully the same happens here. I just have 
a few concerns, particularly with him and his attitude. I think they're fair concerns. Uh, when when you play under quite a few managers in a short space of time, uh, and only a few you know, are interested in you, you know, or want to put you in their team, then then certainly it does does raise some questions. But I think as well as that, he's been moved around a fair bit. You know, Middlesbrough allowed him to leave on loan to to, to Forest, um, and that was a bit of a strange move. Obviously, there was clear issues with Neil Warnock, so. I do think uh, playing under Daniel Farker is going to get the best out of him. He's going to get the license to to roam forward, and obviously, if he loses his place, they've got a more than capable understudy in Sam Byram. So, from a Leeds perspective, Luke it's good. Well. Sorry, Luke Ayling as well. Luke Ayling as well. Again, I completely forget. I completely forgot about Luke Ayling, which is horrendous because he's so experienced. But they're well stocked in in that position now, uh, and they've got a lot of cover, which is absolutely which is needed in, in a long season in the Championship. Speaking of Leeds, Bayer Leverkusen midfielder Nadim Amiri has rejected a £5 million move to Leeds, according to reports in Germany. The 26-year-old had agreed personal terms and flew to Leeds by private jet to have a look around the city on Monday, even had a tour of the training ground. But according to the Daily Mail, Leeds claim they sent away Amiri as a result of his wage demands with the player paying for his own jet home to Germany. Reports in Germany say Amiri... uh, told Leverkusen to cancel the deal whatever the case it doesn't look like it's happening but a very strange turn of events it looked like this was going to be an unbelievable signing because he was only playing for the German national team a a matter of a year or two Mm -hmm. ago I think it was so would have been a a very impressive signing for championship leads but here we are not happening yeah it's frustrating one isn't it and obviously the speculation that came out of it was so bizarre um in it obviously with the how it ended or how how the move uh, fell through but yeah it would have been a, a huge coup for Leeds but obviously wage demands you back down in the championship or the quality of the city not fancying it whatever the case you know you need everything going do, for you. Do you think Leverkusen's nicer than Leeds Justin? I've never been to Leverkusen but I know for a fact that the German um, the German transport system is a lot more effective than the one in the UK. So if he wants to go to London, for example, quickly and efficiently, then certainly it's not expensive as well. He's not going to have a good time. Blackpool's only an hour and a half away from Leeds, so there's you know a nice a nice aspect there. But you can get anywhere from Germany. You can go to Austria. You can go to Holland. You can go to Scandinavia. You can't do that in the UK. So maybe that may have swayed him. But he didn't consider Blackpool, Justin. I'm sure him and the transport system is exactly what he was thinking about during this whole thing. Um, apparently, there are quite a few factors. Uh, apparently, his partner's about to give birth. And he was also a bit concerned by Leeds' start because he doesn't want to spend more than one season in the championship and what have you. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like he was totally motivated for this like, move. And feels like a wasted trip to, to the UK then, doesn't it? Why did he come over? He get to get to have a look around Leeds City Centre. Why not? <laughs> it, it just seems like, from my perspective, if he's not motivated about the idea of, you know, playing for Leeds United, a huge club, playing at Ellen Road where the fans are, you know, you get 40,000 and what have you each week, then should he really be signing for the club anyway? He, exactly. It sounds like he was more 
enticed by the idea of playing in the Premier League as soon as possible. So I think this may be a bullet dodged from a Leeds United perspective. The Athletics say Southampton are expected to sell Che Adams before the transfer window closes and want to replace him with Sunderland striker Ross Stewart. The Loch Ness Drogba is currently injured, but Saints have possibly still put a bid in, according to reports. What do you think of that, Justin? I'd be obviously really disappointed if Shay Adams goes because I think he's the answer to Southampton being more clinical in front of goal. Obviously, he's come off the bench in a few games, missed the game against QPR. Southampton did look poorer in the box as a result of it. He's, he's just a really good player, isn't he? He's a fantastic player. And I think him being in the Championship is only going to help Leeds. That being said, Ross Stewart's a more than capable replacement. He's just not going to be available until October. I did say in, in, the, in our pre-season predictions that I did fancy Ross Stewart for Golden Boot. I am, and that's even with an October start for him because he's so clinical. Now, if you put him in the Southampton team with the amount of chances they do create, 30 goals, Golden Boot, it's going to happen. But I, I think if Shadams does go, you do have to go out there and, and spend a bit of money. Ross Stewart's probably a good shout given that he's out of contract at the end of the season. Although he is injured, I think he's worth a, a, a punt, certainly. Oh, I think he's definitely worth a point. If I'm a top championship club or even a lower end Premier League team, I'd be looking to get Ross Stewart in. I think he's a marvellous striker who can fit any system. His goal per game ratio in the last couple of seasons has been ridiculously good. And the mm. big the big problem with his with him, and it's a huge risk, is injuries. Yeah. But hopefully last season was a one-off. It is worth remembering he only missed one or two games when Sunderland got promoted from League One. Last season was just a really bad year. So hopefully it's behind him and it was just an unlucky few months for him. If he's fully fit for four-fifths of a season, I'd back him to score 20-plus goals, especially in a Southampton team where he's going to get plenty of chances. So if that move happens, then I'll be extremely excited because I think it would just be a match made in heaven for everyone involved apart from Sunderland <laughs> well exactly exactly he's going to be a hard player to replace at this stage in the window you'd hope that Sunderland would have got something sorted uh, way before now but they haven't which is why I've, I've been left quite frustrated with their transfer business this summer but I'm sure we'll delve deeper into that um, once once everything's finalised at the end of this week with the window but yeah yeah a, a sort of talented player deserves um, deserves a chance to play and score goals whether that's at Sunderland or Southampton Middlesbrough reportedly want to buy Everton striker Tom Cannon he's been linked with loan moves away throughout the summer but it seemed like Everton have been holding out for a permanent move and may finally be getting it would he be a good move Justin for Middlesbrough just this repeat of Preston signing a player on loan a striker on loan then Middlesbrough signing them less than less than 12 months later is quite incredible I think he would be a good signing I don't I don't know what the fee is that's been touted is it? I think the last time I saw speculations around him, if it was around three million pounds, but this doesn't seem like a Premier League club would ask for such a low figure. Um, that being said, he's got a lot of potential. He showed last season at Preston that he is a clinical, a clinical forward. Uh, I do think he's got a lot of potential. It does make me a little bit nervous that Middlesbrough are willing to put a lot of their stake this season in a player who is so inexperienced at senior level as is um, that Tom Cannon is not taking away his talent or his ability to finish but that does does make me a little bit nervous that he might not hit the ground when you look at Liam Delap struggled last season um, on loan for example so yeah I do think it'll be a good move in the long term is he the answer short term not quite sure 
you comparing them to the lab, I don't think that's a fair comparison, really, because at least Cannon last season with Preston showed that he can do it at this level. Delap had never really done it before last season, had he? So yeah, I don't think that's a fair comparison. It's not really a com- it's not really a comparison to Delap directly. It's more of a comparison to a young player not quite hitting the form you'd expect them to after such hype. Which Delap came in from Manchester City, had a lot of hype around him because of his experience and goal record in, in the under-21s and obviously playing for Pep Guardiola in the first team on occasion didn't quite hit the ground running and Tom Cannon if you go to Middlesbrough for a fair amount of, of, of money or for any money you're going to be under pressure to hit the ground running and if you don't can swallow it quite quickly is. well yeah exactly he got, eight, but, he got eight goals in 20 games last season that's, that's a very good tally isn't it, it well, it's, it's an incredible tally but it's his only tally so far which is what I'm trying to get at you just don't know whether they're going to get going again that's the thing you Keenan Davis he struggled since he's not um, loaned spell at Nottingham Forest for example so it's not always it's not I think we're always quick to to judge and throw throw weight behind a player who's had you know a good run of form as opposed to them sustaining a run of form. But you're not going to get that without experience. It's just whether or not it's worth spending a fair amount of money on. I'm not sure if this scepticism is warranted at all, Justin, because a 20 year old lad who's scored eight goals last season and nearly a goal every two games is is a brilliant ratio for someone who's 20 years old. And I don't know what the fee is, but if you can get him for three million quid. That's a bargain and in the long term could prove to be an unbelievable bit of business. Admittedly, he is young and things may not pan out that well, but he's worth the risk, isn't it? Well, you, Ellis Sims was worth the risk, but he's not quite hit the ground running this season for Coventry. I know we're very early on. to the season, yeah, Justin. Yeah, I know, but what I'm saying is it's all this expect- expectation and it adds a lot of pressure to a player as well. And I don't think that's particularly ideal for a youngster who's still trying to find his feet. So I think the best case scenario is Middlesbrough signing with a, with a, on loan with a view to buy as opposed to... Um, an obligation to buy. That's just me being a tight owner. It's just me being suggesting that maybe Middlesbrough should be a little bit more frugal with their money. But I think he's a good player. Um, I just don't want to put too much behind him at such a young age. At the end of the day, they've also signed Emmanuel Latte Lath, haven't they? So yeah. it's not going to be like Tom Cannon is the man who they're looking to to score goals. It's not all the pressures on his shoulders. So. That, there is that as well. Birmingham is set to announce the signing of Cremonese defender Emmanuel Iwu for three million pounds, according to Fabrizio Romano. Uh, I've had to read into this guy, Justin. Looks like another brilliant signing by Birmingham City this summer. Twenty-two years old. Underlying data last season was really impressive, despite him playing for a side which got relegated from Serie A. But this time last week, we would have said that Birmingham needed a striker and a centre half. They've got in Jay Stansfield. And now here's your centre half as well. Unbelievable. Yes, just another another potentially good signing in it in what has been a really productive transfer window for Birmingham City. It's a, it's a lesson in how you spend money earned through um, through a big sale or a big sum of money, i.e., from the Jude Bellingham um, Real Madrid transfer. But I'm not going to profess to be an expert on him. He's as for a profile of defender, it's hard to judge how he is. It's hard to judge how he's going to adapt to the championship. But he's played a hell of a lot of minutes in Austria. Still does 23. Uh, was trusted with first-team football at 17, 18, 19. It gives you some indication that there's there's pedigree there for, for him to, to carry on developing. And I think the Championship would be a good move for him. He is six foot, so he's not particularly a monster. So I'd expect him to be a bit more on the, the comfortable side. But when you've got some players like Mark Roberts and Dion Sanderson, for example, who are 
a little bit more physical than than he might be then yeah just does add a, a, a nice balance to the, to the back line but yeah Birmingham doing a good job recruiting and filling gaps so far and as I say it's a lesson in how to how to spend money just a good job come on Justin be, be a bit more exuberant with it. they've done more than just a good job haven't they yeah I'll never I'll never be more exuberant I'm always I'm always on the I always play devil's advocate, advocate with myself they've well, done a good again, job try again try again what, what would you say doing a really good job oh, come on you could do better than that a really good job superb Birmingham well done you've done it there you go you've done well Susan Perb <laughs> uh, look we've raxed lyrical about Birmingham's transfer window and it's just got better and better hasn't it the technical technical director Craig Gardner deserves a huge pay rise if there was a director <laughs> of the year award he deserves it based off this summer alone he has just completely transformed the club in a few months from bottom half side to one looking towards the top six and when you compare this transfer window to Birmingham's recruitment over the last four or five years the contrast is insane and Gardner had fingers pointed at him in the past for poor recruitment didn't he it may very well have been factors involved there with the previous ownership but this summer has been a dream transfer window for Birmingham City I always say clubs should buy young players with sell-on value that's what they've done and the squad looks so much more healthy doesn't it healthy yes god yeah it's almost like a malnourished football club until this summer and they're just gorged and gorged and gorged like the fat kid on Willy Wonka it's incredible um you can't you can't really over uh, over how how well they've done as I say with the money that they've they've recuperated they've now reinvested that into the squad which is exactly what championship should be uh, championship clubs should be doing you don't need to spend beyond your means you just buy players with with good sell on value or you know room to grow and sell them for profit in the future and then reinvest that back into your squad it is an easy cycle obviously it's really difficult to identify those players but it's an easy cycle to get into as Brentford Luton Brighton have all shown in in years gone by yeah, and clubs don't do it. It's, it do seems it. like the yeah, it seems like the sensible thing to do when you're a club like Birmingham City who haven't done anything for quite some time now, just invest in players with sell and value. It's so simple, but clubs still don't do it. Yeah. Can I just add as well that it makes sense from an owner's perspective to do to operate under this model as opposed to throwing money at the wall and hoping it does a job. Because yeah, but just, just play, chairmen don't see that. They think, oh, right, we need to get to the Premier League as soon as possible but, because they, they, they don't have the patience. But Birmingham now have sensible owners who have put faith in putting the recruitment in the right place. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, it's, it's a spend less, spend more strategy, isn't it? You spend less, you invest in the right areas you, and then you end up you spend more because you recuperate that money back. It's It's... It's business, man. Come on. Exactly. Stonks. That's exactly what Birmingham <laughs> have done. And, you know, as I say, I cannot praise Craig Gardner enough and the rest of the recruitment team for the business they've done because he he should never have to buy a pint in Birmingham again because he's just single-handedly transformed the club. Of course, the new owners have had a big say in it as well, but the recruitment in itself has completely changed the you know, the attitude and atmosphere around the club, aren't it? Let's go to Hull, who've signed goalkeeper Ryan Ulsop from Cardiff for a reported fee of a quarter of a million. Ex-Derby keeper, isn't he? Ulsop, did you like him, Justin? He was he was all right. Shot-stopping wasn't great. He could play out from the back. The Cardiff fans aren't exactly sad to see him leave, and they've got, I think they've got some money for him as well. I think 
there are probably better goalkeepers out there, but Liam Rossini really, really likes him. I saw this, some of his quotes on him and he's been described as a quarterback um, by Wayne Bruni and Rossini in the past when they were at Derby together. So yeah, this is a good competitive option to have, but if he's number one for Hull, my estimations of them finishing in the top six or around the top six does diminish a little bit. Really? Just because of, of, of a goalkeeper? He's not the best shot stopper. And if you look at Hull's chances conceded so far this season, they haven't been as resolute in uh, this season as they have been in the past. Just in, so. May I remind you that Luton got to the Premier League with Ethan Horvath in yeah, goal. Okay. So I don't think it necessarily matters that much. Yeah, you can get promoted with an average goalkeeper. But that being said, Ethan Horvath was a US international at that point. And Ryan Alsop was a, it's a journeyman goalkeeper. He's a journeyman goalkeeper. Yeah, Horvath has butter hands though. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I get your points that Ryan Alsop probably won't win any awards for being goalkeeper of the season. I, I think he's one, a better goalkeeper than you're giving him credit for. And plus, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. But, you know, Rosinia wants a goalkeeper who can play up from the back. And he was doing that at Derby to a decent extent. I don't think it matters as much as you're making it out to be. Uh, Leicester defender Timothy Castagna has left the club to move to Fulham. I did think to myself it would be a bit ridiculous having Timothy Castagna in the championship, but oh well, some big money taken off the wage bill, I suppose. Looks like he may not be the only one heading out the door this week, Justin. Yes, it's going to be an interesting few days for Leicester. And I think this is the key thing with the likes of Leicester, Southampton, Leeds is the transfer window closing even at this point when they might not replace the players that have gone is probably the best thing for them because the managers of each of those teams know exactly what they're working with between now and January uh, and the players know what's what, what's going on as well they they know they're not going to be heading out the door so yeah it could potentially be a, a nervy few days for Leicester supporters because you don't want them to you don't want to see them lose the the quality that's been linked away from the club so far um i'm not too worried about Leicester losing players personally because the the players who have been linked with moves away like Ian Acho and Didi those kind of players i wasn't necessarily expecting to be at the club anyway and even if they lose them they've still got a ridiculously talented squad i think it is very much a case of they need to get players off the wage bill before they can bring in anymore mm-hmm. um so that'd be interesting to keep an eye on if there is any late business from leicester uh, but in terms of sustainability it'd be very handy i think if they did get those players off the wage bill because i've no idea how much ian acho's earning but phew, must be somewhere around Decent 100 wage. grand a week I'm guessing so getting him off the wage bill I think would certainly be helpful and away from transfers Norwich boss David Wagner has confirmed Josh Sargent is going to be out for months the US striker has been in red hot form for Norwich so far scoring three goals in their first four games but was taken off injured while scoring uh, the Huddersfield uh, well the first goal in the Huddersfield game last weekend that is a huge blow isn't it Justin? Yeah massive blow I've been really impressed by Josh Sargent not only his ability to um, score goals this season but his, his runs to stretch opposition defences his ability to be in the right like, good places inside the box as well um, he's, he's not he's not transformed himself but he, he looks he looks the part obviously in the shadow a little bit of Timmy Puka last season which wouldn't have helped matters but he's, he's led the line brilliantly for, for Norwich and or been that been the main man in the final third, I should say. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge blow, and you do hope that Norwich can go out and, and find someone to come in and add 
depth to the to the forward line because I know Adam Eder I've I've put a lot of weight behind him so far. He's not started a game yet, so we don't quite know what his impact is going to be. Um, should he start the next game? But there's there's some quality and pedigree there. It's just whether or not it's enough for Norwich to sustain this form that they've they started the season with. Yeah, I think this is the kind of blow that could quite easily disrupt Norwich's good form. Mm. Just because Josh Sargent is he's been in fantastic form so far. He looks full of confidence again, has finally been able to find the back of the next. I think he scored three goals in his first four games, and that's the same amount as he scored in the last 15 games of yeah. last season. And so him coming back to form has been a huge boost. But now that he's out, I think that's a bit of a problem because now I worry that the goals may very well dry up for Norwich. Jonathan Rowe obviously has been in fantastic form, but do we really expect him to keep scoring at the rate that he has done? I don't think anyone does. Adam Eder hasn't really done it in a Norwich shirt or in fact in his whole career yet so far. So I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who is relying on him to fill the gap that's been left by Sargent. Ashley Barnes, not really a clinical goal scorer. Gabriel Saar may be able to help pick up that mantle a bit, but still... I think this is a huge, huge, huge blow for Norwich and could very well disrail things um, because of how well things have been going so far. And now this happens. It's a hard player to replace unless they do a very impressive bit of business before the transfer window closes. I think it could be a could be a something that really, you know, knocks their good start to the season yeah. quite considerably. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Let me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. Simple as that. Here's three questions. This week, I'll be providing... No, Justin's providing the questions for me. And I'm very much looking forward to what you're serving up to me, JP. Yeah, it's been a busy summer and an expensive one. So first question is, I want you to rank the most expensive outgoings so far this transfer window. The figures are based on transfer market and they are the initial figures, not what the fee could rise to. So the four players in question are Sonny Dieng, Joe Bellingham, Jacob Brown and Michael Abafemi. Oh, God. Okay. Obafemi. Joby Bellingham. Yep. Job. It's Joby. Is it Joby? Yeah. Is it really? I've been calling him Job for years. Does that mean it's Judy Bellingham then? No, it's Jude. Well, don't be silly. silly now. What are the players again? Obafemi, <laughs> Bellingham, Senny Dieng, and Jacob Brown. Uh, well, Bellingham, I believe, was three million. So there's that. Um, I don't think Dieng was anywhere near that. So Obafemi Brown, I'll put Dieng bottom. Okay. Then I'll put Jacob Brown second bottom. How much would Obafemi have gone for? Obafemi Bellingham, I reckon. Interesting. I did tail in there that figures are based on transfer market and these figures are all in euros, so just bear that in mind. Okay. You're completely heard wrong. Of, heard of a converter or <laughs> I couldn't be bothered. You're completely wrong. That's the attitude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely wrong. Michael Obafemi was top with four million. Then That's Jacob Brown. Okay. Then Jacob Brown with two point nine million. Then Senny Dieng, two point three million. And Job Bellingham at 1.75 million. 
Joe B. Joe B. Bellingham. So I think Bellingham. So I wasn't isn't. actually that wrong, but it, it was just Joe B. Bellingham I had too high in your list, whether it's the correct list or not. As I say, it's what the fee could rise to. So Bellingham probably five or six million. Should he? Should he hit his? Should he hit his uh, yeah, potential? Right. But Let's just move on. Next one, please, Justin. Gabriel Sarri has been the league's leading creative midfielder so far this season, or the league's leading creative creator this season. Yeah. But who out of these four have been the most creative? So I base this on shot creating actions. So the point in which you know, these players are setting up um, chances, i.e. shots. Right. Players are Barry Bannon, Dan James, Sorba Thomas and Scott Twine. Okay. Um, so I'm going to have to write these down again. Twine, Bannon... Dan James. Dan James. Leeds is Dan James. Sorry, it's a really common name, Dan James. Two first names yeah. as well. Um, and Sorba Thomas. Was the, who was the other player missing? Sorba Thomas. Thomas. Right. Well, Sorba Thomas is playing for a Huddersfield team who have been utter shite so far. Rude. Same with Barry Bannon. So I'm tempted to put those two at the bottom. Um, when you say... Shock rating actions. Are we, are we saying per 90 or are we saying in total? Because so these, Scott Twine's only been there for two games. These are in total. Um, so, the, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, in that case, then, I'll put Dan James top just for the fact that I think he's played every game so far for Leeds. Um, then... Uh, Thomas, Twine and Bannon is what I'll go with. You're... A little, you're a little bit off. You, it's wrong. Um, okay. You've got, uh, you've got none of them right. Actually, it's terrible. Sorb Thomas is top with seventeen. Fine. Got to bear in mind he takes set pieces. And Huddersfield, yeah, that's Huddersfield why haven't I moved been as bad. Last minute. Huddersfield haven't been as bad as you suggest going forward. They just can't find. They just can't score. Simple. Then okay. second is Scott Twine with sixteen. Good player. 16 shot creating actions in about 140 minutes of football. Barry Bannon is uh, next with 15 and then Dan James is last with 12. Bloody hell. Mm. <laughs> he's played every game, Ante. He's played, um, I think it was like two and a half, 90 minutes. So just the about. just pace. Just, just pure. Just Usain Bolt. Just uh, oh. Final one then, Justin. <laughs> just, just press R2 with him. Um Random one. What was the best-selling car in the UK in 2022, according to Auto Trader? You're asking this to the guy who could honestly not care less about vehicles. It doesn't matter. These, these are this is the people's question. I am, I, I am the least car man on the planet Earth. That's I, okay. I, I could not give a shit about cars at all. Well, you, you, you better do now. You should know what at least the makes are. You can just go off there. Stop, stop moaning. Fine. Ford Puma, Tesla Model Y, Vauxhall Corsa, and a Nissan Qashqai. When you're saying most popular, what are we basing that on? Uh, the amount of sales they they made in the UK. Sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for, for so Qashqai, Qashqai what's is the third it? one? Uh, Vauxhall Corsa. Fine. I'll go Corsa, Qashqai... Um, I don't think I've even heard of a Ford Puma. What was the Tesla one? Tesla Model Y, which you don't really care about, surely. Mm. Well, I know Teslas are quite high market. 
So would they have been sold that much? I do see a lot of people driving Teslas. So I'll go um, Corsa, Qashqai, Tesla, Puma. You've got one. You've got Qashqai and Corsa mixed oh, up. That's so annoying. So Nissan Qashqai is a 4x4. It's a family car. That was top with 42,000. The Vauxhall Corsa is very popular of 18-year-olds. That was next with 35,900. And the Tesla Model Y, 35,500. Incredible. But they are everywhere, as you say, and they take up a lot of the electric charging spaces, bastards. Um, and then the Ford Puma... Uh, was was last with thirty five thousand. Great, well done to all the cars involved there. I'm, I'm sure they had a nice time. <laughs> I don't really know what to add to that. <laughs> I just don't care about cars, Justin. I really don't. Well, what do you care about? So I can I can factor this into my to my Scott High and Ryan Lowe's. When someone was asking me about the suspension, I was like, "What is it banned for two games?" You know, it, it, that's that's, that's as far as my car knowledge goes. It's a dreadful joke. Just tell me what you do like, and I'll, I will. You know, you know what I like. You've known me for bloody twenty odd years now. I have known you, but I don't like you. It's two different things. Fair point. <laughs> Shall we end that there? <laughs> this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening, wherever you are. We'll be back again on Sunday for. Uh, a review of all the stuff coming up this weekend, all the bloody football that's happening this weekend. So we look forward to chatting to you. Then we'll also talk about some of the transfer news because, of course, deadline day is on Friday. Hopefully there'll be a bit more confirmed deals for us to actually talk about in that episode. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. I'm to be Australian then, didn't I? And a big thank you for bloody listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.